Welcome to the Before Midnight podcast coming to you from the N Plus One studios overlooking beautiful downtown Frankfurt. In this podcast, we explore the world of age group triathletes. We'll be looking at the real world challenges of being an amateur multi-sport athlete. I'm your host, Linda Word, along with my co-host, Brian Schenkenfelder. What's going on today, Brian? Speaking of real world challenges. (laughs) (laughs) We have a lot of them. Between the two of us, I think we uh, have managed to hit them all. (laughs) So this weekend, I race. First time I've raced in two years. Yes, and your race is Sunday? Sunday, yes. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Yeah. And? It'd be a perfect time for our pool to close down for the week unexpectedly. (laughs) Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's like this this could have happened like next week. Next week wouldn't have been as big a deal. My race is over. It's really not the end of the world. It's only a week. It's just swimming is one of those things where that frequency matters quite a bit, although one week isn't really that bad. If it had been, it would have been much worse if it had been last week. Last week would have been really bad. Because yeah. I had a two week shutdown right before my race would have been a little bit problematic. It's not the end of the world. I can find other venues to to swim if i need to the masters team's going to the country club kind of waiting for the river to go down maybe go out and catch that towards the end of the week and doing water swim since i haven't i haven't looked at the weather to see how much it's going to rain good luck with that one. it's not supposed to rain this week it's supposed to be like okay. 95 all week oh my god <laughs> yeah you'll be able to get in yeah it's, it's yeah it's in the 90s all week this week it's gonna be really hot hopefully one evening i can sneak down there get one of our uh, paddle boards out and Jenny and my son can paddleboard for a half hour, 45 minutes, and I can get a quick swim and just a... Like I said, it's been two years since I've done an open water. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I've been a few times offered for you to come, but no. Those are usually times I can't attend. They're like Sundays. No, they've been during the week. Oh, yeah, that's true. A few of them were during the week. Yeah. Yeah. Bright and yeah. early, which is not ideal for we for me do. Generally. We have completely opposite schedules. It does no good for us to even attempt to train at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just been that strange year too, where like I said last week, it's like all my volume is down yeah. mainly because the weekends just got consumed. Now that we add in soccer, it'll be even more interesting. Because like last Saturday, we he played a soccer game in E Town. Was, and that's uh, what an hour and a half, two hours from here. It's about an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. It's eleven they o'clock. They had cross game. country meets down there on Saturday because I was thinking. I was like, "Hey, wait, y'all were down there for soccer." And my friend's son was running. They didn't run until ten thirty at night. Is when they ran the high schoolers down in E Town. Did it they was, have it lit up somewhere? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was all lit up, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, it was like a nighttime meet. And there was some storms in the area. There was lightning. And so they had to delay it 30 minutes. They were supposed okay. to run at 930 and they ended up running at 10. I guess it's so hot they have to run at night. Yeah. They're they're not as cool as the triathletes. They're like, well, we're just going to run at 11, 12 o'clock regardless. Yeah, yeah, you'll be okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no. They, they don't like to do that to the kids, even the high schoolers. Like it's a little uh, rough. But we had yeah. a, a soccer game at 11. You have to be there 45 minutes before the game. Right. That's kind of the setup for their warm-up and everything else. You That means we have to be there by 10.15. You back that up an hour and a half, 8.30, which swimming got close. I didn't get to swim that morning, so that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't a problem. <laughs> we still had to go drive down there. We left a little after 8. 
the game's at 11. It right. goes on to about 12, 15, 12, 20. It's 30-minute halves plus some then some post-game, 12.30. Then you go get lunch. My parents right. actually came to the game because it's oh, that's actually nice. closer for them to go to the game <laughs> than was to, to come to some of the games like in Lexington or where we're at now. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's right. Because they're in Louisville. Yeah. It's only about a 45-minute drive for them. They shoot right down. Yeah. The uh, We go to lunch. We get done right. with lunch. It's, what, one thirty ish Mm-hmm. Then another hour and a half back. We don't get back till 3-something. That's a day gone. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Welcome to uh, travel soccer. I travel soccer and yeah. well, most of the games are going to be in Lexington. This forty minute drive or less, which yeah. forty five under an hour drive that makes a big difference. Since we've been doing this podcast, it's like just reinforced for me so much why I never had my girls in soccer. <laughs> well, this is true of it. The problem is not so much the soccer. The problem is you're on a select team, which is all those major sports have select teams, so they are a little more serious about it, mm-hmm. which means you have to be there 45 minutes. Why soccer? If you show up 10, 15 minutes before, and great. Right. <laughs> yeah, we do five-minute warm-up. We're there. good. We go out and play. Yeah. That's the way. No, they want you there super early. I think some of that's to make sure everybody shows up. Right. Because it's like the only game at that location mm-hmm. a lot of times, or there might be another game on one of the other fields. Very uh, interesting setup because it's just – there's only so many select – Soccer clubs, they set up right. the schedule, so you might be the only U11 game. You might be the only game that day playing the U the U11 for wherever you're playing. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's interesting. The uh, <laughs> One of the things that I've been kind of looking into is officiating. Give me something to do at tournaments. I can make some extra money on weekends and things of that nature. Right. And you start learning about officiating, and then, like, the officials show up. They show up late. <laughs> <laughs> they're on time they show up you know 20 minutes beforehand they don't bother to walk around the field which you're supposed to make sure everything's off and the field we're playing on the lines are about as wavy as the ocean <laughs> down the sidelines and stuff oops <laughs> they didn't uh they're like temporary goals are not the permanent goals okay when there's temporary goals you're supposed to have sandbags on yeah. we're about to kick off and where's the head referee well he went back to his car and was getting sandbags put on the back of the goals <laughs> to hold them down because that's what you have to do well, yeah. That was bad. They're like high school kids or something, the, yeah. the refs. They didn't call anything the entire game, but outside of like one or two things. Oh, wow. For the most part, when you're talking about U11, there's really not a lot of stuff going on. But there were, well, there was like one where the kid kind of had the lead going in toward the goal and they, the other team came and took him down. Well, that should have been a yellow card because it was a goal scoring opportunity that was denied with the foul. They just called a foul. It's like, Come on, guys! You should know better than this. <laughs> and then, like, like in the second half, one kid just got absolutely blown off his feet. Kid put a shoulder, was running across, put a shoulder to him, oh. knocked him down. Oh! They called a foul, but like that's the definition of a yellow card. You have to get that to get the kids to teach them that hey, that's not a legitimate play on the ball. <laughs> yeah, you, it's not. <laughs> you football. can't. You can't. Just lower your shoulder and blow somebody up like that. It's not yeah. hockey. I mean, that would have been a great check in hockey. Yeah. Not so much in soccer. You know, the fighting and the pushing and stuff like that, that's reasonable to a certain level as long as you're not, like, really extending out the arm and pushing someone down or, like, grabbing their jersey and mm-hmm. denying them the ability to go through. Those are fouls. But, you know, there's some ju- – it's, it's contact sports. Soccer's a contact. You're going to bounce into yeah. each other. But it's just amazing. They didn't call any handballs either. 
a couple of them were like, okay, those are questionable. I don't have a problem with that. But there were a couple where the kids were like, arms are out wide. It hit off their arm. And it's like, you got to call these. If nothing else, so the kids know. Yeah, just so they know they did something wrong. They did something wrong so they don't do it in the future. Yeah. It's not like you're trying to penalize these teams because for the most part, most of these fouls and stuff like that really don't change the direction of the game. I mean, you could yeah, have a lot of them sounds things, like, you know, are accidental. Some of them are accidental and some of them are just the aggressive nature of the game. If yeah. you're not calling them, kids are going to get more aggressive as the game aggressive. goes on. Yeah. It's just it's just kind of one of those frustrating things. Hey, it's sounds not like, like my psychology class I was. Yeah, it's not like, <laughs> you know, both teams are free on this. They were yeah. pushing on each other and stuff like that. That's okay. Like I said, it's it's just one of those things where you're like, come on guys, you're trying to protect these kids too. I mean, some kid yeah. like lowering his shoulder and blowing somebody off. Yeah, he's like, going to get bigger eventually. You, you got to call it. You got to call it now. <laughs> you got to yeah. like say, hey, like that was wrong. I'm going to give you a yellow card. You can't do what you just did. Mm-hmm. You're not in trouble. It's just this is the rules of the game. You, you can't do this. You or at least talk to the kid and warn him that, hey, this is not allowed. If you do yeah. it again, you're going to get a card type environment. But the, the kids, this is like the second or third, like, game i've been to where the refs were just completely disinterested in the game <laughs> they're there to collect the paycheck shit. yeah make sure the score is kept mm. it's just kind of like ugh. yeah that is ugh. but it's it is what it is. Yeah. we move on from it it's just kind mm. of one of those fun things in life <laughs> yeah so i can mm. raise my race my uh, right. pool got closed down good times good times good times. good times well you know it's gonna be good weather this week so you'll at least get to bike Yes, it'll probably be blazing hot this weekend for the race too. Which so is, you might as well get heat acclimated, acclimated <laughs> during the week. You know, go yeah, the heat. I will not race well in the heat, but the heat doesn't bother me. That's a weird dichotomy. Yeah, that is weird. Like I, I don't mind pretty well racing in the, in the heat, but I really my performance really drops off probably more than it should from huh. the heat. I'm okay. not like negatively affected by the heat as far as like I don't feel like. I'm drained. I don't perform well. Yeah, in the like heat. me, you know, if I get overheated, I start, you know. Yeah, a lot I of get, people I mean, are like, I oh my God, I'm going to die. Yeah. Well I, mean, well, I was down in Florida the other day, a couple weeks ago, and I went and did my runs <laughs> in yeah. Florida in the heat. Yeah. That heat and humidity didn't bother me. My performance was way off. Right. Because of the heat and humidity, but it doesn't like affect me in a way that is, I don't know, negative as far as, I guess, how I perceive it. Yeah. It's just the performance drops way off. And maybe my performance is is not that far off. It's kind of hard to tell what your decline is from heat and things of that nature to begin with. Yeah, because it's very hard to replicate. Because it can be like 10 to 20% off, which is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, that's when you, when it gets real hot like that, your 44-minute 10K can easily be that 46, 47, 48-minute right. 10K, which is still a pretty good time. Yeah, but it's not. It's not where you would be if it were cooler weather. Right. So was, yeah. And those are the things you just got to, that, that's why you, it's a race, right? Everybody's going through the same conditions. Yeah. A lot of times that's why it's kind of nice to kind of compare where you are in the field from year to year mm-hmm. in races as far as how you did against your competitors. Well, that's not yeah. ideal. That really only works in big races where you have large sample sets. <laughs> when your sample set is five, it's kind of hard to, <laughs> <laughs> well, I finished third this time and second last time or first. Yeah, I was like, who five yeah. people? That's See, such a small nationals was set. good because there was 139. In right, my, if you have 100 yeah, some people, it, you go every year. You, where you fit is going to be about the same each time, roughly. Yeah. Well, I had dropped off 
from two years ago. Or when did we go? Three years ago? I don't years know. Whenever ago. it was, we went. But generally, unless you know things go wrong or sideways or something, you're going to fall roughly yeah. in the same part of the field. Every time I've raced in a big field, I usually fall within a band mm-hmm. of that field. It's yeah. fairly, it's really consistent. That just shows you mm-hmm. how much genetics matters in racing as well. <laughs> <laughs> Where you, no matter what I do, I mean, I've gotten faster over time. But you're still within that. A certain band you might push yeah. that upper end of the band up no matter how much i train i'm never gonna it's just never well you do like i do and you find the little bitty ones well, i'm talking about like being like an overall winner or something like that that's you do like i do and find the little bitty ones <laughs> even so you're still asking yeah. for a lot the best i did in a small race was like second overall i've done like second and like fourth overall. Those well, i've like only gotten first with... overall once and i've gotten second overall a couple times but it's just it's all about who shows up so. yeah and I'm just on the guy's side, there's always a couple peak guys yeah. who are fast who show up. Yeah. It only takes one or two. And yeah. No. I've lucked them. out that there's just whatever the faster women just didn't pick those races that day. Yeah. So, that's yeah. Placement is a great deal of luck unless you're that elite athlete. Right. <laughs> who wins a lot of races. Yeah. No, I completely agree. You know, I'll show up to a race and be like, oh, man, well, so much. And I'll know exactly where I'm going to be just by who's there. Yeah. So. It's always interesting. Yeah, it's one of those things. So what about you? What happened to you this last week? Oh my gosh. This last week I started graduate school. Holy cow. What the heck was I thinking? Why did I think that was a good idea? (laughs) I don't know. That's what I was thinking a couple (laughs) weeks ago when you said you were going to (laughs) go. Graduate school sounds painful. School starting last week, like school with the kids. (laughs) And and that's gotten weird because, you know, this this time that we're in right now, I... I haven't analyzed it. I don't even want to get into it. But essentially, there's nobody to hire for some of the lower paying positions, I guess you would say, right now. So I'm having to do the after school program as well as my job. So my hours are extended out by two and a half or so a day. And then, you know, put on top of that, having to do navigate technology that's all new to me, new programs and stuff with master's program yeah um seem and it's a yeah there's been some hiccups and i mean i've got a great professor she's super patient she's like listen you'll get the hang of this she's my age you know she gets it and she's like everything that i've done up until now she's like this is easy peasy for you you know you know all of this stuff it's just a matter of finding the time to get everything done and everything straightened out so you can get it done so see my problem with going back to school is the purpose of school, a lot of times, is not to... There is some knowledge to be in part, but most of it's to teach you how to think, to teach you how to communicate skills that you need to survive in the business world or just in the real world in general outside of high school. And that just ends up being a lot of busy work, a lot of work that is important, I guess, from a school standpoint. At the end of the day, though, once you get to be in your 40s and stuff, there's enough real-world experience there that you're not really going to learn much. It's, it ends up being a lot of busy work to, well, you know, to I, get I a mean, grade. And I agree, you know, to a certain extent, like, you know, I was telling you before, a lot of this, it's very familiar to me, and I love this stuff. I mean, I love it. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. So basically, I'm going to go to school for two years and spend a ton of money to get a piece of paper that tells the world that I know what I'm doing when I already kind of knew what I was doing before. Yeah. 
and and well, like you know, I said, and you're going to end up in topics that you don't really care for. Because I remember in college having like artificial intelligence, and there were some elements of artificial intelligence that were really interesting. They were really fascinating. And there were other elements that were like, oh, my God, why am I learning this? I'll never need to use this again in my entire life. Things like some predicate logic and just weird stuff that really isn't all that useful for, like, what I would do in a day-to-day right. job. And that's the stuff that when you talk about school, it's like, okay, so like 40, 30, 40, 50 percent of this is going to be fun. It's interesting. And the other 50 percent is going to be drudgery and pain and, and suffering. That's the part that makes me not want to go to school. <laughs> I got enough going on to not do all that You know, stuff. I mean, I, I timing-wise, it's it, I it, it's a good time for me to do it just career-wise and yeah, where I, I am in my life and my kids are grown and I don't have to worry about them, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I want to advance my career and this is one that's of the ways I need to do it. That's how you have to do it, unfortunately. You know? And at my age, I better hurry up. <laughs> well, I, mean, that's, I guess that's one of the downsides of the whole teaching side is you have to have a master's to do anything in teaching. Right. Which again, at some point, really makes no well, sense. Well, and if I to want me. to get into more administration, right, I have to have a master's. Right, I mean, you just once again, it makes no sense to me because masters schooling. I mean, just as someone who hires, all schooling does is get you in the door. To be honest, if you have twenty years of experience and you're new out of school, I'm looking at your transcript in school to figure out can you do this job. Somebody who's twenty years, I know they can do the job. Yeah. That's yeah. the whole thing is just so bizarre to me that you have to have a master's to move forward when after about five or ten years outside of school, the, the the usefulness of a master's is pretty much negligible, right? At best, that's the part that makes that's kind of that I find. I mean, it is frustrating, you know. Frustrating. I mean, but when I was looking, you know, looking to possibly branch out a couple of years ago, uh, every I was like, oh, that looks great. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, I could master's do. Now. No, gotta have a master's. Every single one. I, I wonder like, why really? education does that. That's so... Yeah, I mean, and it was with the state. It's like, okay, yeah. you're not going to take into account 20 years of experience in the classroom with special needs people for me to be able to be an admit... Yeah. That is... But that's the way it is. That's bureaucracy that is that leads to just ineffectiveness because you're disqualifying people right. based on a, a piece of paper that at the end of the day is pretty meaningless. <laughs> Well, I'm going to get it anyway. Because I, I, I got know. close to getting my master's, and then I didn't get it. You don't really need it, though. That has not at all stopped yourself. me whatsoever yeah. in my well, life. Well, you work for yourself, so... Well, even when I didn't work for myself, it was all meritocracy. Once you got in and you could show you had skills, yeah, you moved up. Yeah, they didn't up. care. Yeah. It hadn't... Again, it, just from my standpoint, as someone who's hired people, diploma tells me that you have some basic reasoning skills. Right. Now let's see what you can do once yeah. you use them. Can you can you do the work? Yeah. Once you do the work and you have experience in it, then why wouldn't I hire you? Why wouldn't at it? Yeah. that point? No, no, I agree. It's, I agree. It, yeah, that's why like requiring like masters and advanced stuff is is kind of silly at some point in the game. Experience should matter as much as yep. a piece of paper, especially especially when you get like ten or fifteen year industry. At that point, it's like okay, you're going to take somebody who has been out for four years, who has a master over someone like myself, who's infinitely more qualified the position for them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how you end up with uh, the, <laughs> is it the Peter principle? You rise to the level of your incompetence. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you end up with that. <laughs> All right. Well, enough of my crazy life because we got to get fun. this done so I can go home and read some more. <laughs> read some more. You got, you got work to do. I got to go. I got work to do tonight. Good luck, man. You got to be reading every night. You're writing papers every night. Uh, 
I'm yep. going to play Fortnite every night. Luckily, I'm only doing one class at the Hannah. I just don't want to even talk to you about that. <laughs> so how many classes do you have? I'm to only taking one at a time. Okay. So I have one class now that's running August to October. I'll have another class so you've, October you've to December. So you've got a long ways to go because don't you need like five or six classes? She's seven. Like 15 hours of coursework, isn't it? It's seven hours. Uh, seven classes. So 21 hours. Do you have a the- do you have to do a thesis as well? Um, I haven't gotten that far yet. I don't think so. I do have to have, if I want to take the exam, I've got to get a bunch of hours of supervision and stuff, which is outside of the classes. Okay. So I will have two classes a semester, one class in the summers, and I'll be done summer of 2023. Okay. Because the classwork was easy. It was the thesis I didn't want it at some point. Yeah, I don't think I actually have to do a thesis. Well, that's easier. That makes so, life a lot easier. Yeah. I think it's more because I've got to take the test, the behavior analyst test. So Cool. But, yeah. All right. So we had a question that was actually about triathlon this week about transition. Somebody has yeah, not I had, really done a transition. It has I had an athlete at swimming. She was going to do her first triathlon here, and she was asking about transitions in general. And that got me leading to like, well, you know, you can actually practice the transitions. Here's how. <laughs> and that's kind of what I want to talk about today was transitions. We we spend a lot of time talking about swimming. We spend a lot of time talking about biking. We spend a lot of time talking about running. To a great extent, that's what the sport is. It's those three sports pulled together in one event. What we don't talk about very often is a very important part of triathlon called the transition. It's always fascinating that these people will spend... $10,000 on bikes and aero equipment that can save them 20 or 30 seconds, but yet they spend three or four minutes in transition area. <laughs> yeah. Every, yeah. every gain they've gotten through money has been thrown away because they can't transition properly. Do you think that it's because people don't, I mean, initially, I don't know that everybody actually understands that that transition time counts in your total time. People don't realize how much time they spend in transition until they do that first or second race, I think. And you find yourself sitting there, putting on your shoes. like Because the worst thing people do is will put on their socks. Oh, my god! Because that takes yeah. flipping forever Ever. when your feet are wet. Unless you're doing a long distance, I would never spend the time. I think I've put on socks Did you put on socks twice in a race. They were both halves. Yeah. Uh, for a half, yeah, I probably would, depending on the shoes. It ended up, the funny thing was, I've done it a half without socks, and it was fine. The The other time I was debating whether or not I wanted to put on socks, and it was kind of a cold day. It had rained that whole morning. I'm like, I'm just going to go ahead and put in socks. I just, let's just, I just want to get done with the race and not have blisters and deal with anything like that. Of course, I get like two or three minutes outside of transition. It was in Charleston, which is perfectly flat which means there were lakes <laughs> that we had to uh, run through because it rained that morning. <laughs> so here I am with socks running through the rain. Oh. Rainwater. Yeah, that ended up being a really bad decision. I would have been much better off without socks oh, wow. in that yeah. setting because then the water would have just drained out and I'd have been fine rather than wow. running in wet socks, socks, which is never good for the feet. I, I do okay with wet socks. I mean, I got blisters on my try-up at Nationals on the tips of my toes, but it was because I had not worn those shoes in a long time. I was yeah. struggling with laces. Um, yeah, that's always a challenge. I tried to put my laces. elastic race, laces on my new shoes that are much lighter than the shoes I usually race in, and they didn't fit. They was too tight. Oh. There was no way that was going to work. Right. And I just didn't want to deal with it. So I'm like, well, I'll just wear those shoes. But I had 
last time I wore them was two years ago, the last time I raced. And I ended up with blisters on the tops of my toes. Oh, so bad. Yeah. But, I just figured but you know, it was a 10K. So, yeah. you know, like, uh, I'll just deal with it later. It'll be okay. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> anyway, coming back to the, the concept of transitions, transitions are can be an integral part of, of the race and how much time you spend on it. Like I said, most people, when they first start or they're just doing their first few, a lot of times they'll come into the transition area. They'll try to wipe... Because the question she asked was, do you wipe your feet off at transition area when you come in? And I was like, no. <laughs> I have a towel and in then my I transition area and I put my feet on The towel is usually just a demarcation for where my stuff is. Yeah, I'll stand on it. And oh, I've never even stood on it, generally, because I just don't have... I just don't want grass and stuff on the bottom of my feet from running I'm, but across from whatever. The difference is, is you put your shoes on in the transition area. I do oh, not. Oh, the bike shoes. Yes. yes. Well, she was going to have to put the bike shoes on and stuff like that. Well, that's that. totally different. Yeah. If Well, for you, your bike, your shoes are on the bike. Yeah. My shoes are attached to the Why bike. Why would you bother? There's no reason to right. because I'm gonna, still going to have to run through the transition yeah. area. and There's no way I'm going to get them perfectly dry. Yeah. And even if I get them perfectly dry, the transition area is wet from other people that have run through. Right. Gummy <laughs> mud, whatever. Yeah. 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 Well, for you. Yeah. No, that makes makes sense. When you start, you have to start thinking about, okay, well, what can I do to make my transitions faster? Uh, if you're new to it and you don't have tri shoes, there's only so much you can do. The first thing you're going to want to do is, is probably not wear socks on the bike. You can probably put them on for the run if you have to. It's a little bit easier. Your feet dry out a little bit on the bike. Generally, you just you just don't want to because of putting on socks when your feet are wet is just really challenging yeah it can be very challenging you have to figure out okay then what am i going to do am i putting my bike shoes on am i going to be running out with them and then you have to start thinking about how do i want to lay out my transition to facilitate this process that's the other thing people don't think about is like okay what am i going to do i've seen people bring their bucket pull it up sit down and do all this stuff (laughs) dry their feet off put everything on they spend 10 minutes in transition and they off they are that's just a lot of wasted time Especially when someone like myself, T1 is, if I'm at my station for more than like 10 seconds, that was too long for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have I did something wrong. I have my bike shoes on my bike. This is a skill that you can practice, though. It's, it's really not that hard. You, just, you have to have the right shoes. <laughs> right. If you don't have tri shoes, this is a good time to buy them when you buy your next pair of bike shoes. Yeah. What differentiates a tri shoe from a regular road shoe is generally your road shoes will have some type of mechanism that goes across the shoe. It generally sticks out to the inside of the bike, which if it's open, could potentially get caught up in your pedal, your chain and stuff, where your tri shoes will be more in the middle. They won't go into the inside of the bike, so you can leave the shoe open. And you can stand on it and pedal, and then when you tighten it, it always tightens to the right. Where sometimes, like your bike shoes, they'll even tighten to the, the left on the inside which is never ideal when it comes to uh, trying to do a try and mm-hmm. when you're trying to reach down and tighten it while you're on a bike pedal. You don't want your uh, your hand that close to the chain. Right. Well, you, the don't, the, you, you don't, don't want, want things sticking hung- out of the chain, yeah. <laughs> towards the chain. It's kind of yeah. like if you're riding with your pants leg, you want to tuck that into your shorts. Right, yeah, If you you've uh, ever had your shorts or your pants... And I've had them caught up in the chain before. I have too. Yeah, years and years ago. (laughs) You don't do it more than once. And you pedal backwards and get out of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The shoes are set up for that. A lot of times the tri-shoes will also have a 
a loop on the back that allows you to wet, grab it and be able to slip your foot into mm-hmm. the shoe while you're pedaling. Because mm-hmm. that's the whole point of a tri shoe is you leave it attached to your bike, you start off pedaling, then you slip your foot in, you lock it down, and off you go. Then when you come back, you slip your foot out, you pedal on top of the pedals, you dismount, and you go into the transition area from there. The purpose of doing that is you're putting your shoes on and taking them off while you are moving forward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the If I'm sitting in the transition area and I'm doing this, what am I not doing during that period? <laughs> yeah, moving you're not forward. moving anywhere. <laughs> yeah, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. If I can put my shoes on and get them fastened in roughly the same time while I'm on the bike as if I were standing there, then that's not always the case. I probably could get my shoe on a little faster if I'm standing there, maybe. It would be negligible difference. Mm-hmm. That's all lost time. Right. Now, the other side of it is it's much faster to run through the transition areas barefoot than it is with bike shoes. If you've yes. ever tried running with bike shoes, it's click, not click, 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 You can't <laughs> run super fast. You have to be careful about slipping, especially mm-hmm. if some of these things are wet. you you got to be a little bit more careful. For me, mounting the bike is a very fluid type thing. I kind of come on, put a foot down on the pedal, I flip my foot over and go. If I have my bike shoes, I can't really do that. i got to stop. Stop. Straddle the bike, clip one pedal in, and then pedal off. Right. There's a lot of advantages I'm getting from just going on than clipping in. But that's a skill you have to practice. It can be practiced if you have the right shoes. It's not that hard to slip your feet out, practice getting on the bike and pedaling Mm -hmm. off and slipping them in, and then taking them off when you're done riding. You can do that every ride almost if you really want to practice them. One thing... um that's actually new this year. Um, one of the new rules that they've put is that if you're like holding on to, if your bike is off the rack, you have to have your helmet buckled. Yes. And that seems they were really kind of getting on people about that. Yeah. Cause it was always, so, you had to, before you could get on the bike, you had to have it. Buckled. Right. Now it's the bike is off the rack. Right. That, and you, that makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah. Cause you, it's really hard to buckle your bike, your when helmet. When, when you get up there, a lot of times people forget is the problem. Right. So I got, I've got to learn the skill of being able to ride and dismount my bike with my shoes attached. Mm-hmm. That's a skill you have to learn. Once you do that, then my transition changes from, okay, I got to have my shoes ready to put on and then take them out. Now, mine becomes even simpler. T1 is I come, I got sunglasses that are opened up inside my helmet. They go on, helmet goes on, buckled, grab my bike and go. That's my transition for T1. Mm -hmm. It's very fast. If you're going to put your shoes on, you're going to have your shoes out in front of your helmet, hopefully, Mm -hmm. that you can put those on. Then you can reach down and grab the sunglasses and helmet. Because you're yep. always generally going to have some type of sunglasses, unless you have like a my helmet's got the shield the thing shield on it, which was nice because I didn't have to worry about sunglasses. So right. that was one step I took out, but I still had to put on my shoes because I've not gotten triathlon shoes yet. <laughs> someday, someday I, just, I need. New it's shoes. always some way down the road. Yeah, there's always more. There's always that. more stuff you can buy for triathlon. <laughs> it's one on my list. Trans- you know? Triathlon. I, I went for wheels this year instead of shoes. Your the second transition becomes I'm coming in. If I have my shoes on, I got to take those shoes off. I got to put my running shoes on. Then usually once the running shoes are on, anything else I might need like a race belt. A lot of times you need race belts. Make sure you have the race belt. Usually a good idea to have a race belt. That way you don't have to have a number pinned to yourself the whole yeah. race. You grab your race belt. I usually grab. I carry. A, I have a visor. Some people will take a hat. I grab those two things and I put those on as I'm running out. 
There's no yeah, reason to sit there and put those things As long on. as you've got that number with you when you yeah. go over the timing, Matt. Because Well, no, that doesn't have the chip because the, no, the, the chip number, is on your The number ankle. doesn't matter. They just get really persnickety if yeah. you try to finish without a number. Without a number, yeah. The Now, transition two becomes a little... It, it's pretty much the same thing of, okay, now I've got to get my shoes on. i got to get this stuff and out the door. That's the steps. The steps never change. T1 and T2 never change. The question is, is how do we make that more efficient as we go through? What I've always done to practice transitions, I don't do this as much as I did in the early days of triathlon because at some point, if you do it enough, it kind of becomes second nature. Right. Although I'm always burned when I don't practice before, like the first race I do every so often, (laughs) where I'll just like blank out on something. Oh, no. (laughs) Just something silly. Yeah. Usually it's like from T1 to T2, like. You know, I might not take my helmet off or something like that after I put my shoes on. Or I don't take my helmet off first before I put my shoes on. Just yeah. stupid stuff like that. Or I don't turn my bike computer on. That was another thing I've done Ooh, before. <laughs> Which is painful. more frustrating than it is. And it's serious. Yeah. Yeah. You have, um, okay, now, now I want to optimize this. The way I've always optimized it was taking a space across the room, putting a towel out like I would set up my transition area, put the stuff in the order I needed on the mat, then I would go through T1 where I would go, okay, I go start on the other side of the room. I can spin around once or twice to kind of that kind of weird feeling you get when you start running after mm-hmm. you swim. If you really want to do that, I don't, I don't do that. Generally, <laughs> I hit a stopwatch. I run over. I do what I need for T1, sunglasses, helmet, buckle, run back over, hit the stopwatch. That gives me a time. Okay, let's do it again. Can I beat that time? Do it again. Mm-hmm. Can I beat that time? Do it again. T1 for me is not really a challenge. It's pretty simple. T2 becomes the more interesting one. Putting on running shoes is a skill that needs to be worked on. I, I know I will suffer badly Sunday trying to get one of my shoes on. One of them will go on easily, be a pain in the butt. <laughs> and mostly because I haven't practiced enough. Mm-hmm. I will spend some time practicing, but you have to really practice putting your shoes on while standing there and not sitting down. That's not as easy as you think because that's most people put their shoes on while they sit down and put their shoe on. Most people don't stand yeah. up and try to put their shoe on. Well, and also, I mean, your balance is off. You've just been on a bike. You've exerted a lot of energy. You've got to bend over. You know, you yes. get dizzy. I mean, there's potential for a lot of weird things. Now, the real trick, too, thank you, Brian, for telling me this one, is the elastic laces on yes. the shoes. I mean, do not tie your shoes. I mean, you got to have the elastic laces. That saves a lot of time. Saves so much time. It, they're easy to cinch up. You just kind of cinch them and go. Yeah. I mean, you don't even... I didn't even have to. I mean, the way I had them, they were tight enough. Or if you can get them tight enough, yeah. Yeah. And just a lot of it depends on how easy it is to get your shoes on. Yeah. Some shoes are more challenging than others. You may want to yeah. keep it a little bit looser so you can get your feet in there. But yeah. even but even so, those things generally cinch really quick and very easy. Yep. I have an easier time with T2 Enjoy. than I do with T1. Well, yeah, but you're putting bike shoes on. I'm putting bike shoes and running in bike shoes. Click, 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 click. I would think the more challenging thing would be is coming out of T2 with bike shoes on. Because usually you have to like go around a corner or something like that to get. Because usually T1 is like a straight path out. T2 is usually you kind of come in and they redirect you around to the back so that you can run back to your space. I'm thinking about nationals and it was a lot. There were people in my way that were walking when they got off the bike and I was trying to run in my bike shoes on concrete, you know, and get past them. And that was a little bit annoying. Yeah. Once I got into the transition area and was on the grass, you know, I was booking it. Cause they try to make transitions so that if your T1 distance is short running, 
your T2 distance is longer. That way it's even for everybody. Nationals, the entrance for the swim and the entrance for the bike was the same? Yes. And in that case, they would be very, they would be the exact same run, right? right? Depending on where your transition well, spot was. I mean, it was a long tra- It was a long run from the water to right. But T1. once you make it into T one, you run to your bike. Then you have to go to the other end of transition, Correct. whatever that distance is. And that was a way. Then you come in on the bike. You only have to run from where you get off the bike to where that transition. So the, the run for everybody is the same distance. That's why they try to do stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was. It was. I was really happy with my spot. Now, too. like the head first performance guys, what they did was they created a chute you had to run down to go in the back end of mm-hmm. the transition. Oh, yeah, area, that's right. Yeah. Which was a really long run. Yeah. That's where again, if you can do it barefoot, you yeah, have a huge a advantage over people in bike shoes as far as that time spent running. Mm-hmm. Yep. Again, it's just a lot of it's about practice. You got to practice these things. If you don't, you're going to be slow. Yeah. If you don't have a plan for transitions. They could be completely disastrous. Like I remember one girl, she left her helmet in the car and she had to like go to her car and get her helmet. Oh my God. As part of her transition time. Oh, that all counts. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You can't make that up in the run. Sorry. You can't make any of that stuff up (laughs) anywhere. That's the whole thing. If you're going to spend, if you spend two or three minutes in T1 and you are faster than me by a minute, you're going to lose to me. Yeah. Yeah. For, I don't know, just about every race I have been in, I have finished one spot ahead of at least one person I beat in transition times. Mm-hmm. Just about every race. The person was faster than me in the swim, bike, and run, but I had a faster time than them. In transition. Because my transitions yeah. were 20, no, 30, 40 same. seconds faster than them. Yeah. And my transitions aren't even close to yours, but still, you know, I mean, I, I know what I got to do. I mean, I don't, I don't take my time. You just got to move. The crazy thing is, is, as fast as my transitions might sound to a lot of people out there, I am very rarely the fastest person oh, with yeah. T1 and T2 times. It's amazing how fast some of those people are. Now, some of them are the really good athletes who are just fast runners, and some of their time is they're just faster runners than me. <laughs> just getting out of the water and to the, yeah, to and, the bike. And getting faster. to the bike and running with the bike, they are just physically faster than me. They're, they're going to have faster running times at the end yeah. of the day, too. Yeah. Some of the difference in time is that. I, if you're faster than me, you're going to pick up three or four seconds just in running time probably yeah. in that distance. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to sprint coming out of the water too, I'll tell you. But like the really fast guys will. Yeah. That's just kind of it. I, I try to run pretty hard out of the water. I just, it's always a challenge. I just try and get out of the water and not fall down. Not fall down. <laughs> so there's different levels of, of yeah. where you are in your journey in the triathlon, <laughs> so to speak. But the big thing is, is have a plan, lay your transition out the way you need to, and then practice. Practice it. Yep. Practice all the elements of it, and you'll have a good time. There we go. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. Good luck to Brian this weekend. Hopefully yeah. you have a good race. Yay. If you're looking for a coach, check us out at go3sport.com, and we'll talk to you next week.